I don't know where or what it was like for, for you back in the, the 90s, early 2000s when you were uh, attending church. I know a lot of churches, including the church where I was working at the time, were really into like live dramas and live drama sketches. And so we would do a lot of these sketches. Partly, I was the, uh, I actually taught drama in the school that was associated with the church and taught it for close to 20 years. And then that seemed to be the obvious that if I was teaching drama in the school, that maybe I should be leading the drama in the church. And so we would have these drama sketches in usually six to eight minutes, and really a very effective tool in communicating and sometimes setting up the, the service and the message of the morning. But one of the challenges of these dramas was just finding sources. It's not like lots of people were writing them. And some of the stuff that was written, some of it was okay, but it didn't really fit the occasion. And so whenever I found somebody who wrote dramas that was good, I was all over that, and I tried to use their drama skips and uh, sketches. And uh, came across a guy by the name of Paul Joyner, lived out in, in San Diego, California, and, and he had several of these sketches, and we used some of them, including this one right here called The Finest Church in America. And I was thinking about this this week, and I was like, I wonder if I could still find that sketch. And I am so proud to stand here this morning and tell you that I found this sketch that we did probably 15, 20 years ago called The Finest Church in America. But here's the gist of the sketch and it fits totally with what Chris had to say when he started the service here. It's about all these people who go to church. They go to the finest church of America. But when they arrive at church, they see each other coming down the hallway and they say, hey, how are you doing? And the answer is, fine. And you see the next person and, hey, how are you doing? And the answer is, fine. And the sketch goes on. Everybody says, fine, 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 fine. And you hear these words, fine, just echoing all across the stage until one girl finally gets up enough courage to say, well, like, well, maybe I'm not doing so. And before she can even get the word out, great, everybody stops her and assures her, oh, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And that's how this sketch goes on, and it goes on for several minutes, and, and somebody tries to speak, and somebody else interrupts and says, nope, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, until finally, as it gets to the end, and the word fine has been repeated over and over again, and it starts to subside, and it starts to die down a little bit, and finally, one person has the moment to say, you know what, i got to be honest. My marriage is breaking up. And then Anne says, well, my father, he's dying. And Paul says, oh, I just filed for bankruptcy. And, and Lillian says, well, actually, my daughter just ran away. And Charles says, well, I have a drinking, fountain, uh, drinking problem. And Rebecca says, I'm losing my job. And there's like a pause in the script. And you can feel it in the room, in the auditorium. There's, there's this hush that starts to fall over everybody who's sitting there watching this sketch. And finally, one person says, so, how are you really? And they all in unison say, fine. And that's really how we are when we come to church, isn't it? We say fine, and we all come in and we're fine because church is supposed to be for fine people and we're all supposed to be doing okay. And, and like what Chris talked about there, we're not supposed to be broken. We're not supposed to have problems. We're not supposed to have issues and struggles and failures and addictions and all of those things because that's not who we're supposed to be as Jesus people. And boy, we would never want to admit and, and confess to one of those things because we'd be judged and we'd be exposed. And maybe if I shared what's really going on in my life, I might even not even keep it together 
because it's got me so ripped apart inside and I'm afraid it's going to come out. And so we just say, fine, because that's how it works at church. We're all supposed to be okay, aren't we? I'm not supposed to be okay. I'm the pastor, right? But is it okay? And here's a question that I want to ask you this morning. Is it okay for us to struggle? And is it okay for us to struggle with spiritual doubts? See, we're going to be okay with some of these other struggles because, you know, that's me. But when it comes to the idea of doubts, well, then I'm starting to question who God is and what God says. And I'm starting to question what the, what the Bible says. And I'm starting to question what I believe. And we get to the point where we come to church where we're like, is it okay for me to struggle with spiritual doubts? No, 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 it's not, is it? Because that means I'm, like, I'm pushing back against the truth then and, and I'm rejecting all of these things. And is it okay for a person to struggle with these doubts? I actually think it is. In fact, I hope that it is, and I hope that it's okay for even like a pastor to struggle with spiritual doubts. Does that surprise you? That there are times when I look at God or when I look at something in the Bible and, and I'm like, I'm not sure I get that. Or, gosh, I'm really having a hard time seeing how that one plays out in my life. And we struggle with doubts. So the question becomes this then, what do I do if I have spiritual doubts? And what do you do if you have spiritual doubts? Does that mean that there's something wrong with this? I mean, isn't this bad? Wasn't Jesus saying it to his disciples constantly? Oh, you need to have more faith. Oh, you have little faith. Why are you doubting? And you remember Peter. I mean, he had just walked across the water. And who's done that? But he walks across the water and he gets to the boat and he starts to sink. And what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, hey, good for you. You walked six steps. He said, why did you doubt? And so we look at doubt in our lives and say, well, I can't go there because I'm not allowed to go there. Well, let me just assure you this morning, if you are struggling with spiritual doubts, you are not alone. There's at least two of us. Actually, there's three of us. And the third one is the person that we're going to look at in Scripture this morning. So let me invite you to join with me and turn to Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to be talking about John the Baptist. And if you've been here for part of this or through this series, we've already talked about the fact that Jesus described John the Baptist as the greatest, the greatest among the prophets, the greatest of those who were born among women. And John the Baptist, though, as we're about to discover, had doubts. And it was okay. So the real question this morning is: what are the doubts? that you've brought into the room. Because I'm not debating whether or not you have doubts. You probably do. But what are those doubts? The doubts that I'm struggling with are, how would you fill in the blank there? And if something comes to mind, maybe you even want to write down a word or two that say, man, this is something I've been wondering about. This is something that's been frustrating me. This is something where I'm really struggling in my faith. This is something I just don't get or I just don't understand about God. And think about those doubts as we go through this passage here. So read with me, if you would. In Matthew chapter 11, we're going to start reading in verse number 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in the towns of Galilee. And when John, speaking of John the Baptist, who was in prison at that time, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, of Jesus, he sent his disciples, these are John's disciples, to Jesus to ask him, are you the one who is to come, 
Or should we expect someone else? What is that? That is a question of doubt. Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Jesus, are you really the one that I've been talking about this whole time? Eh, I'm not so sure. In fact, I have my doubts. Should I be looking for somebody else here? And John expresses doubt. He's looking for some affirmation. And why? Because it's not playing out like he expected. And we're not exactly sure exactly what he expected. It could have gone probably two different directions. It may have been that you know, they, he was expecting Jesus' ministry to be totally different. Because after all, John had come in and he had preached repentance and he had preached judgment. And he preached that the, that the Messiah was coming and he was expecting something with a little bit more power, a little bit more oomph, a little bit more authority to say, yes, here I am. And Jesus was kind of running out there healing people on this, like, giant love tour. And maybe John's like, I don't think this is really what I had in mind when I was preaching about you. It's also possible, and maybe more likely, that John's doubt arose from the fact that he had just done the right thing. He had just called out Herod for Herod's immorality, and Herod had put him in prison. And John's sitting in prison thinking, I just did the right thing here. I just did what I was supposed to do. And look where I'm sitting here. And Jesus, you know about this, right? And Jesus, you are God, right? And you're doing nothing about my situation. And maybe that's where his expectations have been disappointed. But he sends this message. And this message actually has a little bit of an edge to it, doesn't it? Like, are you the one or should we expect somebody else? It's kind of accusatory, even in, in the doubts there. But think about this. John had baptized Jesus. John had seen the dove thing at that moment. John had heard the voice, this is my beloved son in whom that I am priest. And John is sitting here as the greatest of the prophets dealing with doubt. Jesus replied, Go back, and he's talking to John's disciples here. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And what Jesus is doing here is he's reciting from some verses in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 through 6, and Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. And it's interesting that he goes back here to Isaiah because Isaiah was one of the prophets who had talked about John the Baptist coming. And now Jesus says, well, let's pull Isaiah off the shelf here. He talks about you, but he also talked about me. And here's what he said. And let me read these verses for you. This is what Isaiah said about the Messiah who would come. Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue sh will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And then ch chapter 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for the darkness. And what Jesus is saying to John the Baptist is like, go back and look at what the scripture says. And is what I'm doing, like, does that match up to you, John? 
And by the way, what I'm doing, can anybody do that besides God, John? And by the way, what I'm doing here, John, have you ever done this kind of stuff, John? And so Jesus challenges John's expectations and says, I don't know exactly what you were expecting, but maybe you need to go back to the scripture, John, and see, here's what I am, and here's what I'm doing. And he goes on then in verse number six, he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And the point is this, John, your expectations are leading you to doubt. Maybe you need to go back and maybe re-examine those expectations. But for all of us, we have these expectations in our lives, and they can cause us to doubt. The doubt isn't the problem. The doubt is when we allow a stumbling block to arise because of it. And so we read this, and, and, and it keeps going here. As John's disciples were leaving Jesus, Jesus turns to the crowd and says to them about John, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind, and that's a really important point that it will come back to. But he says, if, you, if not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's disciples have just come and just expressed doubt. And in this context, Jesus says, there is nobody greater than John. There's nobody greater than doubting John. And that little phrase there, what did you come out to see? A, a reed blowing in the wind. That's how a lot of us see doubt. Like, I just can't quite make up my mind, or my mind keeps changing, and I'm just not quite sure, and it waves back and forth. And Jesus says, you know what? Here's John, and he's doubting, but he's not like that. He's rock solid. And he still doubts. So, I want to take this passage that we just read here, and I want to look at three basic ideas that I think could be helpful to us when we're dealing with doubt in our lives. The first one is this. Doubt is the dark side of faith. When Jesus, or when John was in prison, he doubted because of what was happening to him. But that doubt did not mean that he didn't have faith. It's just part of faith. It's like faith and doubt live in the same house, but they can't be in the same room. And so faith is constantly trying to push doubt to the corners. And doubt is trying to push faith to the corners. And back and forth it goes. But if we have faith, we are dealing with uncertainty. We can't help it. Faith is the essence of what the unseen. What we don't see, we just believe. But with that, there's always mixed that element of doubt. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we struggle with it. And maybe it should surprise a little bit, like sometimes how big our doubt gets. But the fact that we have doubts is not a non-spiritual thing. It just means that we have faith, but that's part of the equation there. And doubt will always be there because we just can't know for sure, can we? I mean, can I say to you for sure that there is a God? Well, yes and no. I can't. Bring him here to show you. I could talk about it. I could tell you all these reasons why I believe this. And you might even feel his presence. And maybe you've already felt his presence this morning. But we can't actually prove it. And so there's always that element 
of doubt. They exist mutually on a continuum. And so we're always constantly looking to say, how can I make my faith increase so that my doubt will decrease? But there are many categories when it comes to doubt. And let me just pause for a few minutes here this morning to kind of talk this through. Because maybe you wrote down something. Maybe something came to mind where I really have struggled with doubt. And maybe you're like, I don't have any problems with doubt. Well, maybe you don't. And maybe you do. Because sometimes we have trouble because we have doubts about God. For instance, have you looked at our world lately and thought, God, are you really in control of this mess? We have innocent kids being killed in, in Texas, and we have a, a crazy war going on in Ukraine, and we have, we have shootings at a church in Iowa, and we're like, where are you, God? Do you ever have doubts about God? Have you ever wondered, like, I wonder if this is all just fantasy. Like, I've really given my life. I mean, I think about this as a pastor, too, right? I've given my life to this idea of God. What if it's wrong? Like, that'd be really weird and disappointing, wouldn't it? Or, you know, I'm making some big sacrifices here. You know, we can all raise our hands. Is this all going to play out? And sometimes we even look at God and how things are playing out in the world. Or sometimes we look at God in Scripture and we're like, I don't know if this is even the kind of God I want to be around. But we have these doubts about God. Sometimes we have doubts that come from our Christian experience. You ever prayed a prayer that didn't get answered? In fact, let me ask that question a different way. How many of you have had all of your prayers answered? Well, I didn't have my hand up. That was just illustration. And you start to doubt, well, well, God, I thought you cared about me. I thought you cared about my situation. I thought you wanted me to bring these requests to you. I thought that, you know, it says that if I pray and if I believe that you'll do these things. And we struggle with these things. Sometimes we struggle to feel or see or experience God in a situation. And I start to have my doubts like, God, I really need you to step up here. And it's not happening. Maybe you've had these doubts and I've had these doubts where you're, you're like, okay, you're convinced that you've got this big decision, you're going to make it, you're going to take this big step for God, and you take this big step, and it all goes haywire. And you're just like, did I just get that wrong, or maybe I'm, I don't know. And we struggle with doubt sometimes in our own Christian experiences, like, well, We'll be leading a ministry maybe at church, and it's not going well. And it's like, well, why aren't you blessing this guy? Because this is obviously what we're supposed to be doing here. Or sometimes we read something in the Bible and say, this is what is. And then I'm like, but this is not what is for me. This is what's supposed to be. But I'm, I'm experiencing something totally different over here. And these things just don't seem to match up or jibe whatsoever. And we have our doubts. And sometimes we have our doubts too because we're taught things. Growing up in church, and I was taught a lot of things like this, this is thus saith the Lord, other than the fact that when I got older and I went back and looked, that's not what God said. And I'm like, oh no, what else did they teach me at church that really wasn't what the Bible said? And sometimes I look back and I'm like, well, yeah, that's in the Bible, but boy, that's not interpreted very well. And we have these doubts. What else have I been taught that's not right? And sometimes we look at people that are supposed to be Christian and you're like, huh. That's Christian, huh? Maybe I'm getting it wrong here. And we struggle with these doubts. Sometimes our doubts are doubts that are voiced by others. And other people around us have their doubts. And have you ever noticed this? If people have their doubts, they don't keep them to themselves. They feel like they need to share it with somebody else. And so, like, they bring their doubts to you. And they say, you know what? Um, 
there's all these inconsistencies in the Bible. And you're like, really? Well, show me. And they show you something, and you're like, well, huh. I never knew that. And so their doubts start to become your doubts. And we have these experiences where, where things that are going on, even, even with our Christian friends, bring doubt into our stories. And our expectations are disappointed at some level, and we struggle with doubt. And doubt is the dark side of our faith. Secondly, though, doubt, and this is the good news, doubt is an invitation to go deeper. Doubt is an invitation to go deeper. When John had doubts, he didn't bail. He sent two disciples to Jesus and said, you know what, I got to get this figured out. And if you're dealing with doubts in your faith this morning, if you're dealing with doubts in what the God's Word says, if you're dealing with doubts in your Christian experience, you're dealing with doubts with because what other people said, here's the challenge, is to go deeper into your faith to see what the real truth is. And so John didn't quit. John didn't even change his mind. In fact, he asked an interesting question there. He doesn't say, are you the one or should I just give up? He said, are you the one or should I look for somebody else? Because I'm not giving up on this faith thing. And so that's an important thing for us to remember as we deal with doubts in our lives. We need to refuse to bail out. We need to refuse to give up. We need to look at it instead and say, okay, this is my opportunity. I don't get it. I don't understand this. I'm confused by this. But I am going to lock in and see what I can learn in this situation. Doubt gets the attention of our faith and it encourages us to learn more. It can actually be a gift because it forces us to go deeper into our walk with God. And what did John do then? John took his doubts where? To Jesus. Take your doubts to Jesus. And here's the good news. He can handle it. If you take your doubt to Jesus and say, God, I just don't understand this. Jesus, I just don't really get what you're doing right here. I don't think Jesus looks at that and goes, oh, you're right. What was I thinking there? Or like, oh, good point. I think he says, you know what? I'm glad you asked. And Jesus can handle our doubts. And sometimes we're in those moments where something that just happened to us is like, okay, Jesus, I thought you loved me. Why is this happening in my life? And he didn't say, well, yes, I do love you. He's like, come here. Come here. Come here. It's okay. I get why you doubt. I understand. Just bring your doubts to me. The problem is when we have doubts, we often go to the wrong place. We go to somebody else who has the same doubts. And then we sit in our echo chamber and we talk back and forth. And we don't get any answers. We just develop greater cynicism and greater doubts. And it leads us into bad places. You need to take your doubts to Jesus. I don't think Jesus is ever offended when you come to him and say, well, your word says this and this is what just happened to me and I don't get it. I don't think he's offended by that. I think it's like, okay, let's work with that. Because yes, I am true. And yes, my word is true. And yes, we can work through this together. And I love this passage because Jesus never condemns John in any way, shape, or form. In fact, what does he do? He praises him. And that leads me to the next point here, which is simply this, to do your homework. If you're dealing with doubts, do your homework. Don't just bail. 
Say, okay, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to see what I can learn. And what did Jesus do with those doubts? He said, well, here's what Isaiah said. Here's what the Bible says. And he directed him back to the Word of God. And sometimes I think in our doubts, we need to be directed back to the Word of God, and we need to look at that and say, huh, this doesn't all match up the way that I think it should. Maybe we need to rethink that a little bit, and maybe we need to say, well, maybe I'm getting this wrong with how I'm handling God's Word here. But we need to go back to the Bible. And we need to be ready to accept what we learn. And I think this is hard for us sometimes because we're in a situation where, like, I'm in my situation of doubt or discomfort or whatever, and I'm going, like, I look at the Bible, I'm like, oh, that's not what I wanted to say. Because I have this outcome or I have this idea or this thought that I want it to be, and it's like, mm, that's not it. And we have to be willing to accept what God's Word says in that moment. And you know what's interesting here? Is John... I think, sent this word to Jesus and said, hey, are you really the one? And I wonder if John is like, hey, like, could you get me out of prison here? Because if you go back in Isaiah, if you're really paying attention to what Isaiah said, Isaiah actually said he sets the prisoners free. And that's what Jesus, oh, Jesus actually didn't quote that. He left it out. Instead, he inserted something different. He says, the dead are raised to life. That's not what Isaiah said. And yet Jesus inserted that. That's an interesting thought when you think about John, isn't it? But we need to do our homework. Next, we need to review our expectations. Maybe what you believe has got you messed up because your belief is not truth. And belief and truth are not the same things. We equate them, and they are not. They should never be equated. What you believe in, what is true, they may be the same thing, and they may be totally different. Belief and truth are not the same thing, and we may need to line up our beliefs with our truth, and then we need to make our choice. And sometimes we just get to this place where we have to say, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but you know what? This is what I'm decided, and this is where I'm going, and this is my choice. I always think of Peter. In the end of John chapter 6, Jesus has said some hard things, and every, all the crowds have left. At the beginning of John 6, it's the feeding of the 5,000. By the end of John 6, there's 12 people standing there, the disciples. And Jesus looks at them and says, are you going to leave too? And I always love what Peter says, like, where are we going to go? There may be all kinds of other options out there, but yours is still the best one. And sometimes we get to that place in our doubt. It's like there's all these other things out there, but you know what? God's plan and God's option and God's word and God's story is still our best option. And sometimes you just have to say, you know what? I don't get it. But here I stand. This doubt is not going to trip me up. It's not going to be a stumbling block. It's not going to cause me to fall away. And that leads to the last point here. Doubt must never become disbelief. There is a danger in our doubt. Doubt, I don't think, I think doubt has a lot of neutrality to it. It's when doubt becomes disbelief that we get ourselves into trouble. That's why Jesus said, blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble or doesn't fall away on account of me. There's going to be a reward in the end, and maybe it'll all make sense, and maybe it won't. 
But I think what's interesting here, if you look at verse number 7, it says as John's disciples were leaving, the parallel story here in Luke actually tells us it's actually after John's disciples have left, Jesus goes into this thing about John the Baptist. So all of this praise for John the Baptist, John the Baptist doesn't hear, and John the Baptist's disciples don't hear. Maybe the word gets back to him, I don't know. Instead, he says the rest of what he says to the crowd that's standing there. And when Jesus speaks to the crowd like that, he's speaking to us. And he's saying to us, not to John the Baptist, you know what? This is a guy who doesn't get blown back and forth. This is a guy who's rock solid. And this is a guy who has doubts, but he's okay. John hasn't given up on his faith. That's just fine. We're going to have doubt. Doubt doesn't mean that we're weak, and doubt doesn't mean that maybe you know, we're bailing it or whatever. We're just going to have doubt. But don't let your doubt become disbelief, and there's a progression that this follows. Oftentimes, doubt starts with disappointment. Our expectations are disappointed. And then when I'm disappointed, I start to question. But that disappointment sometimes leads to discouragement because I take this disappointment and I take this disappointment and I take this disappointment and I, I merge those all together and I'm like, wow, this faith thing just wasn't quite as good as I thought it was going to be. You know, this prayer thing, it's just not working out like I thought. And it becomes discouragement. And then doubt because discouragement becomes disillusionment. Like, gosh, I think maybe I got fooled here. I don't know. And we become skeptical and we become cynical. And it leads to the next step, and it's a word that I'm going to use here that we've heard a lot in Christianity right now, and it's called deconstruction. And deconstruction, I don't know if you remember last fall when Lara Kaiser with InterVarsity was here, we were talking about deconstruction. And deconstruction is defined differently by different people, but maybe it's even a process in itself. Deconstruction is where we sit and we look at what we've been taught faith-wise, and we say, is that true or is it not? And we start to, 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 to um, sift it out and to separate it out. And it leads a lot of times to, to cynicism, and we see a lot of people in our society say, you know what, there's some things that I got taught here that I'm not sure are right, and they got taught by the church. So the deconstruction is like, okay, I'm done with the church, but I still, I still like Jesus. And so at first it was just kind of sorting, is this true or not? Then it moves down to a level that's like, well... I think this is true, but the church is over here, and so they kind of go to this level. And then we get deconstruction down to a third level, and we're seeing this, and we're hearing this, kind of some celebrity Christians who are saying, you know what, I'm just done with this altogether. And are just walking away not only from the church, but they're walking away from the faith. And that's when faith, or excuse me, that's when doubt becomes disbelief. And we can't, 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 can't go there. And disbelief shows itself in cynicism and extremism and radicalism. And it just ultimately ends up in disinterest. Like, I'm done. And they walk away. You know what the fact that you're sitting here this morning tells me? That you're not done. But you may have doubts. But don't let those doubts become disbelief. So what are the doubts that you're dealing with right now? It's okay if you have doubts. And it could be, boy, there's a, there's a vast spectrum of where those doubts can fall, isn't there? And actually, I would encourage you, if you have doubts, to go ahead and question. And not just say, oh, well. 
do your homework. Take them to Jesus. Dive in and say, you know what, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And maybe you even have to get to the place where you say, you know what, I don't get it all. And we're never going to get it all because it's a faith issue, isn't it? I don't get it all, but I do get the fact that it's Jesus. And I'm going to lock in, and I'm going to follow there. And that's going to be good enough for me. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for the affirmation, for almost the support that we feel as you spoke to us as the crowd to say, you know what? Just because we have doubts doesn't mean that we're bailing on our faith. My guess, Jesus, is that people are sitting in this room who have doubts this morning. We are bombarded with questions and challenges to our faith. I pray that you would give us assurance. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Maybe the doubt is just in Jesus. You need to investigate. You need to go further. Don't give up. Don't walk away. And maybe you need to investigate to the place, and maybe you've even come to this place where it's like, I need to invite him into my life. You can do that this morning. Maybe you're already a Jesus follower, but boy, there's a lot of distractions that are doubts. Maybe it's time that you go back to Jesus with those doubts. He can handle it. Maybe it's time for you to lock in and say, you know what, I'm not giving up until I get to the bottom of this. Jesus, I pray that you would give us that depth of commitment to hang in there, even in the season of doubt. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, why don't you stand with us?